Hello and welcome to Good News That Actually Is, where three to five sets you free to thrive. Three to five minute encouragements to help your joy by empowering your soul. I am your host, Tim Ashley. Have you ever known someone who received a gift, uh, but they never did anything with it? Perhaps they unwrapped it and said the usual thank you to the person who gave it to them, but they never really used it. And maybe, maybe you've personally done that before. Maybe it's not so much you know somebody, maybe you've done that. Sometimes gifts end up being re-gifted to someone else. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it could be somewhat incriminating, but come on. I know I just identified with someone here when I said regifted. Yeah. All right. If you've ever regifted a present, then you've personally experienced what I'm talking about. That you've received something from someone that you didn't take advantage of. If you regifted, maybe you felt like you took advantage of it in that you didn't waste it or throw it away or let it just sit and the batteries, you know, do that little bubbly acid thing over time and you find it later and it's no good anymore and all that stuff. You know, we're coming up on Christmas and, and there are going to be many experiences on that grand day, no doubt. There's going to be tons of them. And uh, many gifts are going to be exchanged among family and friends. It always happens every year. Some are no doubt going to be excitedly and thankfully received. Some of those gifts, they'll be received that way and put right to use. But there's a chance that some might be unwrapped, the giver giving thanks and the present being set aside. Now, I have one such present that I received years ago, uh, still in a drawer at my house. Um, it is a thing that you can put in a stream, and if you've got enough suction, you can drink water from it, and it's safe. My wife got it for me for Christmas one year because I was going to Haiti so much. She thought, well, you might be somewhere you can't get water. I said, no, they take care of me when I'm in Haiti. They make sure that, that this poor little American boy isn't getting a hold of something that's going to send him home sick. But, um, <laughs> but I remember when I... When I pulled it out of the, the gift bag, I, I just couldn't do anything but laugh. <laughs> so in a way, she gave me the gift of laughter. <laughs> with that the, the same Christmas, I got beard oil. <laughs> Let's just say it was one of those Christmases that would live in infamy. Because I think that was the Christmas you got your iPad Pro or something like that. Okay. And so she was feeling really bad about giving me these gifts. And I told her, I said, no, it's perfectly fine. I mean, this is great. This is, this is wonderful. I won't use the straw, but hey, <laughs> you know, maybe somebody who goes camping and needs to drink from a stream can talk to me later. I'll give you a straw you can use, right? So I will re-gift it. Are you with me? Now. Now that I've got your attention, we can identify with each other with regard to a gift. I want to get your attention to a gift you should never set aside. See, you've been given a great gift in Christ Jesus. 
In fact, it's, it's called favor with God. Favor with God is what you received in Christ Jesus when you came to know him in faith and you received his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to get this favor. It was a free gift given to you by God. Now, favor with God is what you got when you came to Christ. You came to know him in faith. You received his grace. In fact, I want to encourage you today to learn to savor the favor. Because a lot of believers don't know how to savor the favor. Now, let me define savor as I'm using it here with you today. The definition for savor is to enjoy or appreciate something completely. Not partially, completely, especially by dwelling on it. Give you an example. I wanted to savor every moment. Now, we're a media generation. I I take my phone off when I'm up here, so it's back there. But if I had it and I could hold it up, I, I could demonstrate to you how we are a generation that if we're in a very amazing moment, what is the first thing we're inclined to do? Capture it. And I'll I'll run into people and I'll say, what are you doing? I'm capturing the moment. Why? I'm going to upload it and it'll always be there. It'll be there for me. It'll be there for my kids and their kids. And I'm, I'm, I'm just savoring the moment. Have you learned to savor the favor? See, favor is, with God, is something that you're to completely Not partially, not halfway, not three quarters of the way, but completely you're you're to enjoy it and appreciate it, especially by dwelling on it, because especially at this time of year, what is the number one thing the enemy is up to? Gloom, despair and agony on me. Right? He sows depression like it's no way. He, he pushes depression like some drug pushers out there pushing meth and stuff. He's aggressive with it. He's relentless with it. And some people succumb to it. And the ones that succumb to it in the church are not learning to savor the favor. If you're learning to savor the favor, he can't find a foothold in your heart and in your mind to sow the negativity he wishes to sow that will affect your emotional well-being and corrupt your soul from being in the place that it's meant to be in Christ. Believe it or not, the Lord wants you in a good place in your soul. See, you need to savor your favor just as you are to enjoy your joy. You need to savor your favor. Has anybody ever watched the Antiques Roadshow on PBS? On that show, sometimes there's someone who's gone to a garage sale or an estate sale and bought an item for a small amount. And one time I was interested in it because it caught me, you know. There was this, this guy who had been to one of those. He bought something the previous owner didn't see value in. Isn't that what that usually is about? It no longer holds value to the one who's selling it, so they're just trying to clear out space. 
So I was watching this episode and this guy had bought a rusty sword and sheath from the Civil War era. And I think he said he paid $10 for it. It appraised at nearly $10,000 because of an inscription that was on it. It's, it was amazing. I was blown away. He bought something for $10 and he got $10,000 appraisal. Man. Almost makes you want to go through your junk and find out what you might have. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had taken it home, hung it on a wall to display it as a piece of history. But when the roadshow came to town, he thought, well, I, what can it hurt? I'll just go see if it has any kind of value or if it's just an old rusty sword. And boy, was he glad when he got it appraised. Now, I share that story to demonstrate how people can have something of great value and not realize it because they never learn to savor it. They didn't consider the fullness of what it was or could bring. And so it became something that it's just easy to set aside. Now, Paul brings this idea up to the Galatian believers when they were being enticed by law preachers claiming they needed to add something to what that had already been done for them in Christ. Look at, you, at your Bibles, if you will, or it should be on the screen as well. Galatians 2.21, if we have that. If you'll read it with me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. You see the concept set aside, set aside doesn't mean you're without. It just means you're not using it. You're not employing it. You're not applying it. You're not, you've set it aside. You're not looking to do anything with it. The Galatian church was under the threat of stepping into a snare of failing to savor their favor. A snare designed to get them to set aside the grace of God by treating it as meaningless or less than it really was. They had unwrapped it to gain entrance into the faith, but now they were being tempted to set it aside and pursue something else to grow in the faith. Bad mistake. Now, have you ever been enticed to set aside the grace of God for something making a claim to make you more spiritual or more qualified for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? You ever been tempted to do that? Run to a conference? A special meeting? Where if you were part of the, the ones who were sacrificially praying and fasting for God to really do something in this meeting, you will be a recipient. But those other ones we're not so sure about. Are you hearing me? Conditional issues arise all the time in the church they have throughout. They were there in the first church. They've been in the church throughout history. And men of God have had to war and fight to keep the church trekking in the proper direction. And at times they've not won the battle. History shows us that. But the Holy Spirit is doing something in this hour of recovering the gospel. 
And guess where he's recovering it first? In the church. You know that, that more spiritual ideology. You know, if, if you'll just do, you know, whatever they say you're supposed to do. If, if you'll do it more, well then, God will obviously favor you more. As soon as you think you can increase the favor, you've set aside the favor you already have. Because now you're thinking that there's going to be something you could do Christ failed to do to get the full measure of favor that you think that you're being withheld, that you think is being withheld from you. You got a partial favor from Jesus at the cross. And now you've got to step up to the plate and bring something to it so that the full favor of God will be upon you. Think about that. These types of ideas treat advancing in relationship with God like climbing the corporate ladder of success. But the gospel reveals that if you wish to savor the favor, you only need to trust God and take him at his word of promise. God says he gave you his favor when you came to his son. It will not be based on your moral aptitude or your superior Bible knowledge or your sacrificial prayer life. These can be beneficial if they're approached in the right attitude. But boy, when they're approached with the wrong one, they make unbearable believers. The superior attitude they tend to walk in when they don't get this attitude in the straight and in the proper place can be a nightmare for anybody because they'll do more to sow division and destruction than they will to bring encouragement and hope. All they'll ever do is find what's wrong with you. That's that's what they're good at. They can't even sit in a church meeting without finding something wrong. They didn't do that song right. The song said dance. Nobody danced. The song said shout. Nobody shout. The song said, oh, clap your hands. Nobody clapped their hands. These people aren't real. They're not serious. But I am. I'm invested. Are you you hearing me? You want to dance? Dance. If you don't, oh well, don't. You're not more spiritual if you dance and less spiritual if you don't. Now, I will say this. You might miss an opportunity. What I mean by that? It might be in that moment, there's just an opportunity of of something in your soul that would melt away. Just because you threw caution to the wind. Right, right, right. 
and said, I'm going to enjoy this moment with my father. Are you hearing me? But it's not a condition. Now, because of Jesus Christ, you were made God's child by grace through faith. It's not based on any works that you've done or will do. It wasn't based on works at that moment, and it's still not based on those works right now. Now, will you produce good works if you know him? Yes, you will. He is going to cause you to bring forth good works out from the spirit within, not as a condition of earning anything from him, but as a result of being transformed by him. And there is a difference in those two things. Now, the gospel reveals all this to us. And because of present culture, we've been programmed to think differently than what I'm saying to you right now. What I'm saying can come across as foreign to the flesh. You know, oftentimes when the Bible speaks of flesh, it's not talking about as plain as the nose on your face and moral acts of disobedience. It's talking about living out from your own strength in your own power of your own accord. Even to the point of thinking that you can be good enough for God to like you based on what you can produce in the strength of your flesh. And that is an affront to God who said you would never be good enough in your current state of having a dead spirit being separated from God. And until the son came, no opportunity to be close to God. And now he gives you a way to get close to him and you want to change the game. So when the Bible, a lot of times, is speaking of flesh, it's speaking in those terms. When it says going back under the law, it says according to the flesh. Why? Because the law is addressing your flesh. The disobedience of the flesh. Your natural state of existence. Many are trained to think they have to do something to be close with God. They got to perform at a specific level. And then the more they increase at that performance, the closer they become. My friend Neil Silverberg's written a book um, dealing with the Hebrew Roots Movement because the Hebrew Roots Movement conveys the same idea that they were conveying to the Galatians that if you come under Jewish traditions and practices and things of that nature and you understand better the Jewish customs and why they matter and all this other stuff you will become more mature spiritually and that's nonsense if that were true then the apostles blew it when they wrote the letter to the Gentile churches and only gave four things to the churches to observe in response to the idea that becoming Jewish would have merit. And they were not anti-Semitic guys. They were Jewish. They were Jewish guys who wrote it. But, but people are on a quest for heightened spirituality, greater measure of 
being recognized as someone who walks with God. Come on. You know how you know you this condition? Because you're looking at somebody else and yes, we're supposed to esteem. But there's a difference in lovingly esteeming another person and then coming from an inferior view toward another person. And there's a lot of inferior views in the body of Christ. I, I'm a recipient of many of those oftentimes. Well, you're a man of God. Well, so are you. So are you. Yeah, but when you pray for people and stuff and you'll give them words that are so specific and that, so can you. You can too. We just got to get into that soul of yours and get you convinced of who you are in Christ. And what is yours in the Holy Spirit? You can covet all the gifts. They don't make you who you are. They're meant to flow through you to bless others. Now, if you're looking for them to make you somebody, then that's going to create a bit of an issue. But if you want to be an available vessel to God in the grace of God to be a blessing to others, he'll be more than happy to move through you and be a blessing to as many people as he sees have needs. Are you hearing me? You don't have to perform at a specific level to be able to Operate in the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and healing, and miracles, and come on, and prophecy. Well, I'll prophesy one day in the church, but right now I just got a few things I still got to get in line. What? What's going to be out of line when you get to that point that you got that thing in line? There'll be something else out of line. You're going to be working on what's out of line until Jesus comes. So if that's your attitude, you're never going to do anything. And you know what you're doing? You're setting aside the grace of God. The grace of God that enables you to be a vessel for the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't want to just be available in an open sense like that. There's specific things that I would more enjoy for myself that I want him to let me do. Well, how's that working for you? The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again, but expect a different result each time. Listen, wise up. Take advantage of what is yours. You're as equally spiritual as anybody else in the kingdom of God. Because we are all under the favor of God by the grace of God. We we have his favor. That's what grace is. We didn't earn it. It's unmerited. You did nothing to get it. The guy who preaches and, and the Holy Spirit uses did nothing to get it. It was a gift. Even the calling of apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher is a gift from Jesus. Amen. The supernatural gifts are gifts from the Holy Spirit. Right. And then the personality that God gives you are gifts from the Father. Yes. The practical side of who you are. All of these are gifts. You did not earn them. I did not earn them. Right. They were given. 
And that's why we don't get to boast about it. There's no boasting in it. When you understand that you've freely given a gift and all you're doing is making sure you're taking advantage of the gift you've been given, what's there to boast about? Like Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, which one of you has anything that you didn't receive from another? So why would you go out and boast about it? As though you created it or made it happen. When I give someone a word of knowledge, I don't make that happen. All I'm doing is opening myself up to the Holy Spirit in a moment saying, is there something you wish to say to this individual that can encourage them today, Lord? You don't hear me say it, but it's going on inside this temple. I even go so far, I'm going to give you a little secret that you can begin to enjoy for yourselves too. Sheila and I do this every night. When we're praying, every night, I'll say, Lord, I need my body to rest and sleep. But my spirit is never sleeping. It, it doesn't need it. So, Lord, while this temple is resting, would you commune with our spirits and speak to us and nurture us? Give us a dream in the temple. I've had so many messages I brought to you guys because of that prayer. And the Holy Spirit just downloads stuff into my spirit in my sleep. That's how willing God is to commune with you in an unmeriting kind of way. Could you imagine you've got this toddler and they're learning how to walk, but they've not mastered it yet. And so you say to them, well, no dinner for you. Until you can walk. Because walk is a prerequisite to getting to the table. I'm not carrying you. So if you can't get there on your feet, not your knees and hands, you can't eat. Wouldn't you think that that is a horrible, awful parent? But when you think about it, isn't that what it's kind of like if you're thinking that you can't do something in the kingdom because you have not fill in the blank? In many churches, Believers are not generally trained to think that we can be as near as any human being has ever been solely on the basis of Jesus going to the cross and making us alive. And now that we're sons of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we have access, can come boldly as the Bible teaches. The gospel says something so amazing about this. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I want us to read it together. Seeing then... That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does it mean to find grace? Find favor. The favor's there. It's always been there. It's always going to be there. 
God is not saying get it together and then come. According to what I'm reading here, come when you don't have it together. Come when you do, come when you don't. Come. Right? The more we know the truth about God and his love for us, the more we'll readily draw near to him. But if you have a wrong idea about what he thinks about you, you're reluctant to draw near. See, the faith we draw near with at the first is to remain as opposed to a faith rooted in how well we're performing. Let's go to the scripture, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Read it with me, if you will. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Simple, uncomplicated. We do not deserve our favor. There's not a moment in our life that we could honestly say, based on our flesh, that we deserve in any way, shape, fashion, or form the favor of God. It is a gift rooted in faith. And it's pride to think such an amazing gift could be earned. God will always resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're in pride, the reason you're not experiencing favors, you're trying to get it the way God said you're not to. As we come to know the Father more, we grow to trust him more. Remember how much I talked about trust last Sunday? Trust comes from knowing the Father more. You can grow in your trust because trust is always cultivated by knowledge in the person making a promise to you. Right now, we have an ice maker down in the kitchen of the church. It's not functioning. I've put the new part in that they sent me. It's still not functioning. I will have to send additional photos and videos to them to prove to them that this is a defective unit in the hopes that they will replace it. But it's, it's, it's not functioning properly. Are you, are you hearing me? Because of that, if they don't do the right thing, am I going to buy another one of their products? Now, so far, they have gotten right back to me in email and said, try this, try that, do this, do that. And I've patiently walked through it with them. But now I'm reaching the point where, okay, enough's enough, enough circus. It's time for some action here. And if they do the right thing and they either replace the product with a, a right one or give us a refund, I will not hesitate to say something good about that company even though the product was defective because they've handled it with integrity and honesty. And so it's just one of those things where in manufacturing you can have an egg come off the line, you know? A lemon. So, but what am I looking for? You can grow trust by knowing the person's integrity. Now, Scripture tells us that God cannot lie. Not that he doesn't. Now, hear this. It doesn't use the word God doesn't lie. 
Because that would insinuate that he avoids it. What the scripture testifies is that God cannot lie. It's not possible for him to do that. Because of who he is. He is all truth, right? He can't lie. Now, if we could put trust in somebody because they were honest with us in a dealing in the natural, and our trust grows in them, how much more can it grow in a God the more we come to know him, especially a God who cannot lie? The more you know him, the more you trust him, and then we begin to use the favor we've been so freely and graciously given in Christ Jesus. This is key. A reluctance to approach God based on a wrong kind of fear of him is destroyed when we know we have his favor that lets us know it's completely safe to approach even when we have seriously blown it. He's still willing to speak to us, help us, and favor us based on what Jesus did for us. How do you overcome the enemy? By the blood of the lamb. It doesn't say by getting your act together. By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. What is your testimony? I've been cleansed. I've been bought. I'm his. I have his favor. You're never without his favor. But you can't choose an unbelief to live as though you have lost it because of something you've done or failed to do. On one hand, many Christians will argue they received favor based on faith and did nothing to get it. They'd even argue that it was all God and the obedience of Christ that secured it for them at the start. But before long, they begin to live as though they had the power to remove what was so freely given to them at the first. They carry on as if they had greater power than God to be able to undo the supernatural work he did at the first. If you can undo the favor that God said he gave, you're stronger than he is. If you can take it away, you're stronger than he is. If you can make yourself a non-new creature after he made you one. We would think it's the craziest thing in the world if a kid came up and said, you're no longer going to be my parents. I'm no longer going to be your kid. This never happened. (laughs) That argument's going to wash with you, isn't it? So how are you going to stand before a holy God who says, I make all things new? When you come to Christ, everything is brand new. Old has passed away. You're brand new. You're his kid now. You're going to walk up to him and say, I don't want to be your kid no more. It doesn't work that way. If you were truly made his kid, you're not going to be walking up to him and saying, I don't want to be your kid anymore. You're going to know better. You know? A lot of people are worried about these kinds of things in this hour because they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the gospel. And so they wrestle needlessly. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy as we close out. We bring this to an end. 2 Timothy 
For this reason, would you read it with me? For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Who's keeping it? He is. Not you. He is. Even when we are faithless, he is still faithful. He can't deny himself. Once his DNA is in you, he can't deny himself. Look at Philemon 1, 6 and 7. If you would read it with me. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. What does all mean? A faithful God has committed to you, and all he asks from you is that you trust him. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and flourish in his gift of favor. Flourish. I encourage you today to savor his favor. Learn to savor his favor. Thanks for tuning in today. Never forget that you are loved by a faithful God whose obedient son, Jesus Christ, willingly died on a cross so that you can live today and always from the abundance of his life in you. Please subscribe and share this with others so that they too can experience the three to five that sets you free to thrive. And be sure to tune in next time to good news that actually is. Please visit us at our website, goodnewsthatactuallyis.com. There you'll find transcripts of the program, video files, and other opportunities. We look forward to visiting with you there and ask you to subscribe. Have a great day.